Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23rd, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. In Northeast Ohio, many cities have been hard hit by the opioid epidemic. We profiled Lakewood on an earlier podcast where the number of overdoses continues to rise. The same is true in Parma and Parma Heights, where there have been 137 overdoses already in 2017, eight of them fatal. Now the city of Parma is fighting back in Northeast Ohio, filing a lawsuit against manufacturers and distributors of opioids that are destroying our communities. Community leaders and concerned citizens are stepping up to make a difference in the opioid epidemic, and none more than Renee Eleftherio. Renee founded BA Force, battling addiction families of recovering children and education. So, Renee, welcome. Hello, thank you. Okay. So tell us a little bit about how the opioid epidemic has impacted your community. We have had um, several overdoses, like you mentioned, um, in the community. And one of the known ones, because it was on the news, was a a boy, a a gentleman who um, had an addiction and he, he robbed a Pizza Hut store and he ended up on 480 and and he ended up dead with the police shooting. That was a really big one. He had been someone who was coming to my walk um, prior to, and again, it's not that he was a bad person, but he had an addiction. So that was, that was a big one in our community. And then we have some moms who um, actually lost not one, but two kids in the community. And uh, it's been, it's been really hard. And this has been a personal matter for you and your family as well, hasn't it? Correct. Uh, I have four kids. Um, two of them are my own, and two of them are my nieces. And three out of four have been um, addicted to opiates. Wow. Um, I have my son. He's currently in recovery a short time. And I have uh, my niece who is in a sober living facility, and she is in recovery. And then I have my other child who has been in recovery for over four years. So and she just bought a home, and she's she has a baby now, and, and things are very well with her. Oh, fantastic. But it's an ongoing battle. So this has been a very personal battle for you. Very personal. And that's what led you to found BA Force. So tell us about starting that. I started BA Force five years ago. Um, 
it's been almost six. Uh, my mom passed away, and my son started using opiates uh, back then as a way of coping. And, uh, you know, eventually it turns into using heroin. And I, I was married to an addict for 13 years. Um, divorced for 17 at this point. Um, he is still out there in active addiction. And then I, I took custody of my nieces when they were 10 and 13. Their mom has an addiction. She is still out there actively using. Um, my niece is now 22 and 26. One is in Pennsylvania and she's in college, and the other one is in a sober living facility. Um, I have a brother who is an alcoholic. And so between my ex-husband and my brother and, and seeing the kids go through this, I just felt like I needed to do something. So um, very difficult to break through and break the cycle of addiction. Very difficult. It's, it's not easy, and it's an ongoing lifelong battle to have a disease like that. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is I have um, – I, I have – I have made this decision because I want to continue to help people and help families. And I have not lost any of my children to this disease. And I'm very grateful for that. But I do know a lot of people in the community um, and surrounding communities who have, if not lost one, more than one child. And it needs to stop. There needs to be, we, we're all aware of the situation. We know there's an epidemic. We need to do something to help these people. Because the community seems to think there are some people in the community, I should say, that it doesn't affect them. And just because you're not directly affected by an addict doesn't mean that you're not indirectly affected. When there's places and things going on around you in your community, places that are being robbed or cars being broken into, and it's not because they're criminals. It's because they're trying to feed their addiction any way they know how. So it does affect you in the community. If you think it does not affect you, you're very mistaken. So we need to do something as a whole instead of trying to decide whether it's a choice or a disease. How about we just decide that we work together and we try to correct the situation or look for an answer together? Mm -hmm. So we that have lost loved ones to this think back on all the things that we would have done differently and try to share that with others in the hopes that we change the way the story ends for them. Um. I feel as though when you witness and when you're living through uh, addiction with your child right now, today, mm -hmm. um, there's just a natural tendency to be insular about it and isolate as a family. We're going to get through this. We're going to get them the help they need and we're going to move on. This is going to be a blip on the radar screen. We're embarrassed about this. We don't want others to know. We don't want to let it out in the community. Okay. We just want our image to be what it is on the surface. And I'd like you to speak to that because on your website, you stated as a parent or family member of an addict, we hide it. We're ashamed. We're worried. We enable. We are codependent. We wonder what we did wrong. And I think that you, you just absolutely nailed it. That's exactly how we feel. How can parents break free from those intense feelings and move in a positive direction like you have? I think that what it was for me, and I think that what other parents can do is is to realize that it, it doesn't discriminate. It's in all the different communities. And I have, like I said, I raised four kids. I had two go to college, and they're living very successful lives at this point. Um, and one of them 
did have an addiction and she got past it. And then the other two, they're still struggling with it. But the main thing is that um, you cannot hide it. You cannot feel ashamed. I realized in the beginning, um, especially with my son's addiction, I didn't want my dad to know. I thought, oh, you know, grandpa knows. Well, that allowed my son to um, go over to grandpa's and and get money when he wanted to mm, and go yeah. to McDonald's and so forth. And and then you're feeding the addiction. I mean, if if you are quiet, I like to say f- silence is deadly, and it truly is. And one of the things that we say at the walk every single year, and it's written on our shirts and it's written on wristbands, break the silence. Because if you're quiet, nobody knows, and it's not going to help anybody. You're actually, um, you can love your child to death to a to in a sense and literally you don't, literally, mm-hmm. literally and you don't want to do that you have to speak out and you have to let others know in the community whether they're affected or whether they're not affected that that you shouldn't be ashamed there shouldn't be no stigma these are our sons our daughters our mothers our fathers and and even if you i always say you don't have to like an addict but you have to realize that these people are human beings and that they have families who love them. So when you say certain things, you have to realize that it affects others, not just the person that is in the active addiction. And you have to speak out and you have to continue to advocate and make things better and hope that um, we can make change. Who was your son addicted to? He started out with um, pills, um, benzos and uh, opiates, Percocets, and it eventually, about a year and a half ago, turned into heroin use. Mm. So now he's battling that, and he's three, 20, 23 days sober. Um, but he had, he had a definite scare. He was in the hospital, and he had an infection in his arm. He almost lost his arm a few weeks back. And uh, he need, he needs he needs to get into a program. Currently, he's waiting to get into a program, but there are no beds available. So again, this goes back to why I would like to do something to be able to have a place for them to go in between because you can't always let them come home as a family member, even though you love them. Sometimes you have to love them from a distance. Mm-hmm. So they say that someone who's addicted to opioids, their brain is hijacked. Mm-hmm. And this also... It hijacks family members' brains as well. How's this impacting you? Oh, well, I can tell you that um, as far as enabling and codependency, I I tell some of the moms that I talk to, we are just as sick as they are at some point. Unless you can go to meetings, NARNON meetings, and, and turn yourself and your way of thinking around because we as parents have to take care of ourselves before we can take care of our kids. Your instinct is to want to help them. You want to do it for them. You don't want to see them suffer and go through this. You want to force them, but you can't. Sometimes you have to step back and you have to let go and 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 give it to a higher power and let them understand. And I've learned by doing this, those are the times that my son got sober for a lengthy period of time. He was sober for almost a year before this relapse. And it took me stepping aside and telling him, you cannot come home. You cannot use in my house. You can't, you know, it took all of that. And it's hard as a mom. I've had him knock on the door and say, mom, I'm hungry. And I said, here's a sandwich and a can of pop. I'll see you tomorrow. I, I couldn't, I couldn't allow him to do that. But by doing that, it, it made him be responsible for his actions. 
and ask for help on his own. Those, those are the times when I've seen the, the best results, when mm. I stepped back. Outstanding. That, that had to be really, really very, difficult to Very do. difficult. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the work that you do at BA Force. Uh, with BA Force, um, basically throughout the year, I offer my assistance, my 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 ear, I guess I would say. People have my phone number. I get phone calls, um, people that have lost their kids in the middle of the night, people that have a question. A lot of grandparents will call and say, hey, you know, I don't know what to do. My, my, my grandson is using, and, their, and we're talking about teenage, 15, 16-year-old kids. They're with their grandparents because their parents have an addiction. And so they're, they, the grandparent has custody, and they'll call and ask, what, what can I do? Or I need resources. Where, where could we go for help? And there are a lot of resources out there. Um, unfortunately, we need more. Um, so I, I will offer my assistance in finding. I'll give them a list of detox centers or rehabs or counseling so that they can go someplace and try to get help for their kids or grandkids or yeah. loved one, whoever's suffering. When you're plunged into crisis, it's very difficult to, uh, to find really good help and the resources that you need. And uh, the Internet is filled with uh, mm-hmm. a lot of websites that exploit people and exploit you at your most vulnerable time. And um, thankfully, there's a couple of organizations here in Northeast Ohio that have put together uh, really powerful databases, and they're vetting the resources. And this is an an ongoing basis. One of them is relink.org. I don't know if you've heard of that. And the other one is uh, emeraldjenny.org, the Emerald Jenny Foundation. And um, the unique thing about these is they're, they're completely vetted. There's no interest there on their part in terms of taking kickbacks from any of these organizations. Um, all of them ha- are very passionate about this cause and want to see uh, people uh, be able to get the resources that they need when they need them. And that's one of our big challenges here. So, But you reach out to the people within your community and you personally make those calls, don't you? I do. Yeah. I try to reach out and help anybody that I can that I know. I have um, I have a lot of friends even with kids that are the same age as my kids. They grew up together, and their kids are in the same situation as my kids are, and they just don't know where to turn. Some of them just aren't as strong as others. It's very hard. They say tough love. They say don't enable. Um, let them hit rock bottom. Don't put the mattress out. I mean, we've heard them all. But as a mother, especially, and a father, I mean, I will, you know, I, I shouldn't just say as a mother, as a father or a parent, it's very hard to let go and to just do that. The dads seem to be a little bit stronger at times than the moms, but, and then sometimes you're raising kids on your own. You're a single parent, which I was for a lot of the time. Um, and that that makes it difficult. One of the other things that we do with Be a Force I wanted to mention is that um, I work with one of the rehabs out in Beechwood. They're all girls under the age of 18, so I really can't get into names and so forth. But I try to, we're trying right now to connect them with the older girls that are at the Julie Adams house, and which is where I have one of my, one of my kids there, my niece is there. And so that they can do some kind of program together so they can see that the older girls that are in long-term recovery, that, that there is a difference out there, that they can do it. It's not your past does not define your future. And that's what we're trying to relate to these girls that are in 
beechwood that are all, I mean, you have anywhere from 12 to 17, 18 years old out there. I mean, that's pretty sad when you can see some kids that are as young as 12 and 14 addicted to heroin Yeah. or another drug. Um, so I, I do work with them too. And that's one of the things that I enjoy. They, they come out to the walk and I, I was out there last week and we made signs together with them. So they carry signs at the walk that say, you know, honk, support the walk for recovery. And they do all that. And we do it together. And I try to give them an incentive. I told them if they, if they do well with everything, then in two or three weeks, we'll come back out with my, my daughter and we'll have a pizza party. So I try to give them some kind of incentive. So some of them come from broken homes. Some of them come from homes where they have their mom and dad both there. It just, it's I'm saying it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where you come from. It matters where you're going in life. That's how I feel. Yeah. So that's really exciting. So the, mm-hmm. the the walk last year you had around a hundred people, and this yes. year you're expecting how more, many? More, yeah. more, yeah. We have a lot of people coming out um, from Project Dawn. We have um, Emily Metz coming out from Project Dawn. We have um, Bikers for Heroin. We have Dave Woost with Heroin Epidemic Awareness. So we have several groups, and that was one of the things that I try to do is to bring these groups because I'm I'm just a little group. I started this to try to help some other families. And you have a lot of little groups throughout the communities, not just Parma Heights, but Strongsville, Berea, Brook Park, a lot of these little groups. If we all come together as one, strength comes in numbers, and we can make a difference if we all come together. Your group may have an idea that I didn't think about. So if we come together and we educate each other, we can we can do something. I know we can. Absolutely. No doubt about it. So you're making a difference not only in your community, but you've gone beyond that. In fact, you've made the trek to Washington. So tell us about that. I did go to, um, it was a fed up rally in Washington a few years back and very emotional and touching. I I don't know if you've ever been um, to that fed up rally. It it comes at the end of August, uh, usually every year, and Mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, National Overdose Awareness Day on August 31st. So I tell everybody to wear purple and tie some purple ribbons around their trees. Um, And you hear stories of long-term people that are in long-term recovery. You have thousands of people carrying pictures of their kids who have passed away. Um, there's tons of information there uh, that you can take home with you and learn more to share it into your communities. And then we go to the White House and we, we march to the White House and we're trying to make a statement saying like, hey, we need something done. And now hopefully that will happen with President Trump signing a national emergency. It's just a little bit of paperwork. I'm sure it might take some time, but I, I believe it's going to happen. Well, yeah, he's committed to that. Now he did that two weeks ago. Yes. And um, what do you hope comes of that? And you know, what what are you hoping at the community level? What what do you hope you see? Obviously, um, Ohio is, I believe, number one still with this with this epidemic, and and funding will be allocated as such. Who needs it more? So I'm hoping to see some funding come to Ohio along with the other states who need it. But I would like to see in my community uh, some more resources, some places for uh, sober living, three-quarter houses, um, and, and some programs implemented in the school to educate the grandparents and the younger children um, about this disease so that we can stop it on a younger level before it progresses. That's, that's my goal right now in my community. So how can others 
get involved to, uh, to help you and your organization? They can reach out uh, for information. Uh, I have a Facebook page. I have a website. And they can come to the walk. Uh, they can get Narcan kits available to them at the Board of Health. Um, for free on Fridays from 9 to 12. There's, uh, and the people that don't want to be involved, they can just stop the stigma. I would ask that. It's, I, it, is, it is so difficult when you have people that are so against you and, and, and that think that, that these kids, adults, our loved ones just aren't worth it because they are worth it. They are worth it. And there's a lot of people that are dying, but I can tell you this, there's a lot of people that are becoming in long-term recovery and maybe it doesn't match the numbers of the overdoses that are happening and and you don't hear about that on the news you don't hear about the fact that hey there were three girls or ten girls that graduated drug court at Judge Mattia's drug court you know two weeks ago it'd be nice to hear some of the positive things that are happening too as far as this goes Um, so that the community can see that things are being done and and it's it's a timely process but a little bit at a time, it's, it's coming along. So what advice would you give to others about how to get it started addressing the issues in their community? Speak out. Call your congressman. Call your mayor. Um, that's a big thing. We, we need, and at the walk, we will have information on that, um, the different counties, how to reach uh, their, uh, their councilmen there. I mean, you have to speak out and, and and when you go to your mayor's office or write a letter or go online um, so that we can make change, that's as far as the community goes, um, that's how I would address the issues you have to. If you need help, reach out and ask somebody. There's there's a lot of places. Board of Health, you can always get information. You can get information online um, through Facebook pages. There's a lot of groups that are probably in you know the different cities of where, where people live. Um, and, and parents like me, family members, parents like yourself, everybody's willing to help if you reach out to them. We're all in the same situation right now. Boy, no doubt about it. Um, so you've done many things in support of this and support of the, the cause and making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Probably the most daring was repelling, wasn't it? Yeah. Tell yeah. us about that. I went to Pittsburgh and um, it was Shatterproof was the name of it. And they uh, offer you to repel off the West. Well, for me, it was the Weston Hotel. It was 26 stories. And um, at that time, my son was uh, still in active addiction, but I didn't know at the time. We went there together, and he, he wanted to support me and uh, went up to the top of the building. And and I repelled 26 stories down the building. They did a newspaper article, uh, raised $1,000 for the cause and to, to help raise awareness for the opiate epidemic. And I would do it again in a second, knowing that my son was standing at the bottom. That's that's what got me completely down the building, but it was a very proud moment for me. So, but let's frame this just a little bit. Okay. It was a very, very proud moment, a scary thing for you to mm-hmm. do. Uh, you know, some would call it, you had to be scared to death. Mm-hmm. So, you know, courageous. Um, so you're rappelling down, and your son is at the bottom of this yes. waiting for you. you sh- your son who's addicted to heroin yes. at that point. And what you think is he's in recovery, but he's really, he's not. He's I, using at that point in time. I found out 
we we had planned this trip together because he was in recovery. We had planned this trip together as something special for us to do and for me to show my support for him. Um, and the morning that we left from Cleveland to to go to Pittsburgh, he said, Mom, there's something I need to tell you. And I said, what? And he showed me his arm, and he had relapsed. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. And I said, well, get in the car because we're going to do this. I said, and as soon as we're done, we're going to get help. And he said, I'm sorry. You know, it's, all, he, it's, it's always I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mom, to disappoint you again. But he did get help again, and he did stay sober for a year. And for him to see me do that, he knew that he had that support. So uh, that really became instrumental in, in him getting the help that he needed and you as a family. Correct. Um, and that, that was just, um, that, was, that was huge. So, uh, Well, he has a great support system. I mean, all yeah. the kids, him and my daughter, who is now, you know, she just bought a house. She's 22 years old. She has her own business. She's in college to be a nurse now. Um, we come from a good Greek-Italian family, so um, he has a lot of support. And that's why I say it doesn't discriminate because we had a very good upbringing. And my kids still, three out of four of them, ended up with an addiction. And does it play a part that their dad had an addiction? That's a big thing that a lot of people say. Do you really think it's hereditary? Personally, my opinion, I do believe that part of it is hereditary. You know, and and um, but I don't think that it discriminates anybody. Your kids could be in college and. A lot of kids are prescribed into addiction. Right. They have a baseball injury, and then the next thing you know, they're on heroin yeah. three years later. Yeah. There's a lot of different factors that come into play. Correct. Um, not just heredity. Correct. Um, and so and sometimes people just get that, uh, that gene whereby they'll try one time, and mm-hmm. it'll happen. For others, it's the peer group right. that they're surrounded by. But I, I always tell people, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, and I stand by that. I tell the girls that the rehabs that I visit, I tell my kids, it's just, I, I seen it or I heard it somewhere um, online, actually. It was a wrestler, and he told a story about his mom because he was an addict, and he he said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And boy, if I don't believe in that, that's so profound. It's very true. Yeah. It's very true. You have to make change. You know, I, I want to go back to the repelling once again, okay. because the first time before we got into the podcast, we talked about it a little bit. And I had this vision of your son is in recovery. You're at the top of the building, repelling down your son who is doing great in treatment and in his recovery program. He's working it. He's waiting in the bottom. But in actuality, that's not the case. You, um, you and your son planned this event. It was a big event to go to. And, and just the morning of the event, you found out that he relapsed and was using, which is heartbreak for a family that's just devastating when that happens. And, and yet you, of all people, would have known the signs. You know the signs. And, and, and so, but you missed them. So th- number one, uh, how, how could that happen? And number two, you know, what What have you learned because of that? As a parent, I, I did miss it completely. I mean, if he wouldn't have told me that morning, he said, Mom, I have something to tell you, and he showed me his arms, and I just, my heart sank because I knew that he was using again. Um, it, it made me 
want to repel even more. I mean, I, I just, it, it, it made me want to do it even more and, and continue to do what I do. But the biggest thing is I, I did miss it as a parent and I had been dealing with it for four years and you would think that I would know, like you said, of all people. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, I didn't know. Um, again, there's telltale signs, but I never, when your child is in recovery, as a parent, you are so ecstatic. You are so proud. You're like, he's going to beat this. It's He's got this. You don't want to admit that there's a possibility of relapse. And then when it happens, it's like hitting a brick wall. And then when it happens more than once. Feels like failure, it doesn't it? Correct. And and we're going on seven years of this, um, battling this addiction with him. And I... His 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 most recent relapse. He was he was in sobriety for almost a year, and he relapsed a few months back. About two months, it's been now. But again, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Actually, his sister is the one who noticed, and she said, "Mom, he's using again." And then I stopped for a minute and I started looking at him, and I thought, "He is using again." And you notice the changes, but you don't, as a parent, want to admit that. It's important to look for the signs, the the pinpoint pupils, um, the foil, the, the difference in attitude. It's There's a lot of things that can help you realize it. And even though you don't want to, you have to try to separate that. And one of the things that I do all the time now is I ask myself, what is in his best interest? What is in my child's best interest? And usually if you can answer yourself honestly with that, that's the best thing to do. So, I mean, do you drug test him? There's been times where I've bought tests off the internet and I've tested him. And if he's willing to do it, Okay, if he's, yeah, I don't want to do that, you kind of think, okay, something's going on. Don't be afraid. You can get drug tests off the Internet for, you know, under $10. You can order them in quantity. If, if you have a child that has an addiction and it's ongoing and they're in recovery, they're willing to do that for you. When they're not in recovery, it seems like that's when that's when you can kind of tell, like, oh, I don't want to do that today, and I'm not doing that. Why should I do that? But, but the kids that are in, like my niece... And when my son is in long-term recovery, like when he's been for almost a year, they're working a program and they're working the steps and they're willing to do whatever it takes to gain back your trust. Mm -hmm. They're in their right mind and they want to make everything right. My son told me a few weeks back, um, and I'll share this because it it was heart-wrenching. He said, Mom, I know that I hurt you again and I know that you're disappointed. He said, but I didn't do it on purpose. He said, it's like I'm drowning and every time I come up for air just long enough to know that what I'm doing is wrong and then it sucks you back under because heroin consumes you. So with that being said, um, they do have moments of clarity and, and their feelings are the same. And I feel like as a parent of an addict, there's things you have to remember that when you're ashamed, they're ashamed. I mean, they're ashamed of their addiction. They're not, nobody ever aspired to become a drug addict. Nobody ever thought their kids were going to do that. They never thought that they were going to become what they, you know, an addict. So they're sad. You're sad. You share the same feelings, just on different levels. What final thoughts do you have for our listeners about the opioid epidemic and your community's response? For my community... Again, I'm going to go back to, I mean, Parma Heights has a lot of um, elderly people who I don't think understand uh, understand about this. And I think that people feel that if they're not directly affected, that they don't have to be involved. And I, I, 
I totally disagree with that. I think that whether you're directly affected and you know someone, which at this point is is a very good chance because it's so out there, uh, or whether you're indirectly involved, it's still affecting our communities in other ways. And uh, I think that we all need to come together and allow the changes to take place if there's funding granted uh, or if there's anything that needs to be voted for. I think it's important to reach out on that level so that we can get what we need to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish as far as getting help for these people, our loved ones. I, I don't know how many people have realized this already. I've seen it on the news. I've seen it on Facebook, social media. Strongsville was allocated a large sum of money the other day, $3 million. $3 million. yeah. yeah. Um, they are going to be having a program. There's it's three three different days, I believe, and you can find it online. Um, I'll even put it on my website. I'll share yeah. it on we'll, my website, and we'll I'll publish share it, it with Facebook this podcast. Because the three things um, are going to be educational for people that need to know the signs, and I think there's going to be some doctors involved that are explaining how the brain does work when it's affected by this, you know, opiates and heroin. So I think that that's really important for some of the parents or, or loved ones to understand that. It'll be very it'll be very educational for everybody to, to go to these events if they can in Strongsville. Okay. Well, Renee, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank and you appreciate for your me. passion for this cause, and you're truly making a difference in your community. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate being here. Okay. Thank you. We've been visiting today with Renee Aleftirio, who is, uh, Renee is the founder of Be a Force, that's Battling Addiction, Families of Recovering Children and Education. And Renee is certainly a force in Parma and Parma Heights, as, as well as uh, Northeast Ohio, I might add. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.